Well, good morning. Great to see you this morning. My name is Bryce Hales, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. If you've got a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 16. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you can find a Bible placed uh, near you on the ground. It's blue, and you can find John 16 on page 903 uh, in one of those Bibles. One of my favorite uh, movies is a movie called The Game. I don't know if you remember this movie. It came out in the late 90s with uh, Michael Douglas as uh, Nicholas Van Orden. And uh, Nicholas Van Orden is this wealthy uh, banker. And uh, he lives in San Francisco. And the, the story begins on his birthday. His brother, who is kind of lost it and um, gone off the rails and is addicted to something we don't know what exactly shows up and gives Nicholas Van Orton a birthday present and uh, invites him to play this mysterious game and things quickly spiral out of control for Nicholas Van Orton he's a man who likes everything exactly the way that he likes it and nothing goes the way that he likes it for the rest of the movie Um, his life is out of control his house is broken into and defaced Uh, He discovers that his bank accounts have been drained, his lawyer is turned on him, and uh, he's being chased by people that he can't even see. Eventually it gets so bad that he's drugged and left for dead in Mexico. It's really bad. (laughs) And I think I love watching this movie because there's this moment... Uh, it's one of these movies you can never see again for the first time, and I'm not going to spoil the ending for you, but as you're watching this movie, it starts off going, okay, it's just a game, it's just a game, it's just a game, and then you have this moment where you're like, what am I watching right now? Is this a game or is this an elaborate con? Uh, that really is the question of this movie. Are things going according to plan, or have things gone horribly, horribly wrong? And I thought of that this week because that's a little bit what it feels like when I'm reading um, the accounts of the last week of Jesus' life. You know, things start off really well on Palm Sunday. Um, He comes into Jerusalem. The crowds are, are shouting and proclaiming. They're cutting down palm branches. They're waving. The king is here, the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And they're throwing their coats on the ground in front of him, and he rides in on this donkey, and everybody is sure that he is the king. But the week ends horribly. It ends horribly. Jesus is betrayed. He's abandoned by his followers. The crowds turn on him just a couple of short days later. Um, He's put through a farce of a trial, and he's executed. And it's hard to not look at this and say, what exactly is going on here? This week seemed to start off so well. How did it turn out so horribly? Is thing, are things going according to plan, or is this a huge mistake? And I think it's important to bring that up because we know that next Sunday is Easter. And we know that next Sunday we are going to celebrate the resurrection. And it can be really easy for us to sort of just brush past the details of what happens between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. 
And I think if we brush past what Jesus actually goes through, we miss out on a lot. Um, We tend not to know what to do with suffering. Uh, We tend not to deal well with difficulty. Um, We tend to think our attitude towards just hard times is like, it's a footnote, hold your nose, get through it, power through it, move on, Easter's coming, everything's going to be great. We have this tendency to think that if God is calling us to follow him, that life is just going to be amazing, and it's going to be blessing after blessing, and my life is going to get better and better. And um, you know, we have a tendency to think that if God is calling us to, to follow him, and God is calling us maybe into greater obedience, that that. God's going to work in our lives. And as God works in my life, I'm going to become more obedient, and then he's going to bless me more, and it's going to be like, uh, I heard somebody say, it's like there's just like these canisters of blessing. And just as we become more obedient, he just opens them up. It takes the top, and there's like more and more goodness accessible to us. And the thing about that is it's true, but it's just not the whole story. And it's so easy, I think, especially for us as Americans, or you know, we, even if you're not an American, you live in America probably, right? To just brush past the difficulty and think that all God has in store for us is more and more goodness. Life is going to be great. Our family is going to flourish. Work is going to, everything is going to be great. And yet life is not like that. Life is not like that often. That's not the whole story. Over the last six weeks, we have been looking um, in, this, in this series called The Beautiful Sacrifice, looking at how the sacrifice of Jesus shows and reveals his beauty to us. And we've talked about things like, what does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to, to know his presence? And we've talked about what does it look like to really be alive, to live real life? We've talked about the source of joy, and over and over and over again in this series, we've seen that very often the goodness of life comes not despite, but actually through trouble. Over and over again, we've seen that the good life that we all long for is actually found on the other side of the cross. That's what was true for Jesus, and that's what's true for those of us who follow him. And so I thought we'd finish this series this morning on Palm Sunday, not looking at maybe the more traditional Jesus on the donkey, um, but looking at some of the words of Jesus, that Jesus spoke in this last week um, and kind of dwell on the reality of what Jesus um, experienced and what Jesus said that we should expect to experience if we are his followers. And so this passage in John 16, Jesus has just said to his disciples in the the clearest language he's used yet, he has said, I'm about to leave the earth. I'm about to go back to the Father. And his disciples still don't understand what he is saying to them. And and so we're just going to read the, the last verse, actually the last half of the last verse of John 16. So let me invite you to stand with me very briefly, and I'm going to read the last half of the last verse of John 16. This is what Jesus says to his followers. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray together.
God, we don't um, we don't like tribulation, suffering, trouble. Uh, we don't want to experience it, and we don't want to think about experiencing it. And yet, Jesus is telling us very plainly what we should expect. And so, I pray that you would give us ears to see, ears to hear, and eyes to see. Um, what you have done for us in your word, in the life of Jesus, and therefore what we should expect to experience as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim the name of Jesus, what should you expect your life to look like, to feel like? Um, this week I was talking to somebody and uh, he was telling me about how uh, just all of the good things that God has done in his life in the last uh, in the last several months and this person was telling me just about how for the first time in life I just haven't kind of like white knuckled everything and, and try to stick to my plan and and he was saying it's been amazing how as I've actually allowed God to lead me and guide me how much better my life has become. And you know what? I love hearing those stories, and they scare the crud out of me. Because if you've been a Christian for more than maybe, let's say, six weeks, you know that that never lasts. And I think so often um, the experience of a new Christian can be that we met Jesus, everything's great, life is exciting, life is full of meaning, and yet then, like, real life returns. And then there's this question of, am I still going to follow Jesus when life is hard? Um, here's the question. Is God good? Yes. Does God care for his children? Absolutely. Does that mean that life is always easy for us? Of course not. Of course not. Will God spare us from trouble and difficulty in life? No. Um, what can we expect if we follow Jesus? Well, there are three things that this passage tells us. And it's not all doom and gloom. And yet we have to hear all three of them. So um, what can we expect if we are followers of Jesus? Well, the first thing Jesus says is, I mean, this is very clear. In this world, you will have tribulation, um, suffering, trouble, all of that you can translate that word in you. Uh, what is tribulation? Um, but, okay, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have suffering. What is he talking about? We all know that this world is a messed up place, right? And there's just like life is hard and the, like the, there's sickness and there's disease and we work hard and it doesn't produce results. And um, that sort of, you know, there's just the general messed upness of the world. It's hard. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. There's all kinds of places where the Bible acknowledges that reality. And uh, just sort of the general wear and tear of life in a broken world. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, here, Jesus is talking about suffering because you are a Christian. He's talking here... Um, most literally to his 12 disciples, these 12 men that gave up everything and followed him for three years. But in a broader sense, he's saying this to anyone who would follow Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have suffering. He's saying, don't let this surprise you. 
if you are a Christian, the world will not always be kind to you. You will suffer if you're a Christian. Uh, this may just look like people like making fun of you. Um, I know of a man who, um, when I lived in Salt Lake City, I knew a guy who, because of his faith, knew that, I mean, he had been faithful in his job for decades, and he knew he was never going to be promoted because of his faith. You know, that's, that may be what it looks like. Um, this may look like missing out on fun because your friends are doing some things that you're just not going to do because of your faith, either because it's sinful or because you have other priorities. Um, it may take much, much worse forms than that as well. But don't be surprised. Jesus is saying, don't be surprised when you suffer because you're a Christian. And I'm saying this to myself because I am always surprised. Um, even when I was a, a little boy, I remember my mom telling me, you have an overly developed sense of what is fair. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not right. It's not the way that things should be. And yet Jesus is saying, it should not surprise you. So don't be surprised. Now, let me be clear about what I'm saying. Jesus is talking about suffering as a Christian. He's not talking about suffering for being stupid, okay? And there's a huge difference, and I think we just need to acknowledge that Christians often suffer because they're stupid, not because they're Christians. And, um, I mean, that may look like, um, you know, Christians go on social media and say all kinds of stupid things and then turn around and say, well, people are persecuting me because I'm, a, uh, because I'm a Christian. It might just be good to pause and acknowledge that probably, like, nothing that ever happens to you on Facebook really meets the standard of persecution, right? Just in general, right? But, like, if we, sh we cannot post our political views or our opinions about whatever... And then, you know, and we do it often, like, harshly, judgmentally, abrasively. And then when people, like, push back, we get bent out of shape. Um, we turn around and whine about how we're being persecuted. And I think Jesus would say, you know, some of this is on you. Um, there's a difference between suffering as a Christian and suffering as a fool. So don't suffer as a fool. Don't go looking for trouble is maybe another way to put this. Jesus is saying, if you're a Christian, trouble's going to find you. Um, and, for, and I mean, this is kind of an aside, but if you're not ever experiencing trouble because you're a Christian, you're probably not following Jesus faithfully. Right? Um, don't go looking for trouble. If you're following Jesus, you'll have enough of it. And it's not fair. And God is not punishing you. Jesus has paid for your sin. And um, he's not putting you something, through something to earn something as a result of it. It's not fair. And yet that's what we should expect in this world. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, why? Why should we expect to have trouble? Well, think about Jesus' life. Um, you know, if you just read through maybe the last couple chapters of any one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, which I would recommend doing this week as we lead up to Easter. Um, you know, in the book of John, it's like the second half of the Gospel. It starts at John 12. 
the whole story of the last week of Jesus' life. Um, if you read those stories, you'll find that Jesus obeyed perfectly. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. I mean, think about that. As a child, no sin. As a teenager, no sin. As an adult, no sin. He obeyed God perfectly. And yet, if you read those accounts of the last week of his life, what are the words that you'll read that describe the way he was treated? You know, he was abandoned. He was whipped. You know, the Roman whipping, scourging was often a, a form of capital punishment in and of itself. He was abandoned by his friends. He was falsely condemned. He was schemed against. He was rejected. He was misunderstood. He was spat upon. He was stripped naked. He was crucified. He suffered verbally, physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. Jesus obeyed God perfectly. What did he do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. God was not punishing him. He didn't deserve it. It was unjust. It was wicked. It was evil. It was the greatest crime that the human race has ever perpetrated. That's what Jesus got. And so if we claim to follow him, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you are persecuted. Don't be surprised if you follow Jesus that the world treats you the way that it treated him. It's what we should expect. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. But it's what we should expect. Okay. How's everybody doing? <laughs> That's the first thing. Now, the second thing that you have to see in this passage is this. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. How would you finish that sentence? Because I think what Je the way Jesus finishes that sentence is not the way that I would finish that sentence. Um, in this world you have trouble, but like, it won't really be that bad. Or in this world you will have trouble, but it'll be worth it in the end. Or he could spiritualize it and say something like, in this world, you have trouble, but this trouble's not, this world's not really your home, so just don't, you know, worry about it that much. Or, um, well, whatever. <laughs> but that's not what he says, right? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the second thing that you've got to hear if you're going to follow Jesus. You will have trouble in this world, but Jesus has overcome the world. So how does Jesus overcome the world? Well, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been referring over and over again to his hour. He says to, um, in, in um, John chapter 2, remember the first miracle of Jesus, the wedding at Cana, and his mom comes to him and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. Do something. And Jesus turns around and says, my, t my hour has not yet come. 
And then in uh, John 7, it says that um, they were seeking to arrest Jesus, but no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And then again in John 8, they're trying to conspire against Jesus, and it says that they couldn't, they couldn't arrest him because his hour had not yet come. And in John 12, as Jesus begins to move to the cross, he prays, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. He says over and over again, my hour hasn't yet come. And then in John 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then the very next words, if you read in the first verse of John 17, he says, Father, uh, he says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Okay, over and over again, he says, my hour's not yet come. Now, now, now he's going to say, I have overcome the world. How? And he immediately says, my hour has come. He's talking about the cross. He's saying, this is the reason that I have come. He says in John 12, the son of man must be lifted up. And he is lifted up as he is hailed by the crowds as the Messiah, as the king, as the, the rightful heir of David. And he's, he's lifted up as he is hung on the cross. On the cross, we see the one who hung the stars and put the planets in place hanging on the cross. Jesus says, this is the reason that he came. This is the reason that his soul is in anguish. This is his hour. And John 16 shows us that this is the way that Jesus overcomes the world. The world brings trouble, but Jesus overcomes the world not by kicking the trouble in the teeth and kind of sending it packing, but by drawing it all upon himself. As he hangs on the cross, He draws the sin of the world onto himself. The one who speaks with power now cries out in anguish. The one who received the praise of angels is now utterly abandoned. It's on the cross in what looks like utter failure that Jesus is ultimately victorious. It's in the shame of the cross that we see his glory. It's in the ugliness of of the cross that we see Jesus' beauty. On the cross, Jesus takes the sin of the world upon himself. He takes the ugliness. He takes the shame. He takes the brokenness. He suffers as no one ever has. He takes the misuse of power, and instead of fighting back, he takes it upon himself, and he gives up his life, and he takes it all to death with him. It's the most evil, wicked, unjust act the world has ever known. And that is how Jesus overcomes the world. I don't know if anybody remembers a movie called A Knight's Tale. <laughs> it was a bit of an awkward transition. You remember this movie? Anybody see this movie? It was the weirdest movie. I, I mean, it's, this, it's set in like the Middle Ages, but the soundtrack is 80s music. And uh, Heath Ledger plays this peasant named William Thatcher. 
and um, William Thatcher tries to create a new identity for himself as a knight, and in the process, he falls in love with the lovely Jocelyn. And he's trying to woo Jocelyn, and he tells Jocelyn that he will uh, manifest his love for her by winning, you know, in, in all the, you know, the joust, the battle, like the medieval times kind of stuff, right? And I'm going to show you, Jocelyn, how much I love you by going out there and winning for you. And Jocelyn says to him, if you really love me, go out there and lose. And it's the only way to prove that his love for her is not actually self-interest. See, if he wins, he just wins for himself. But if he go and he just goes out there and gets creamed, the sound of 80s hair bands... <laughs> to show her that he loves her. It's in Jesus' sacrifice that we see his beauty. It's in his loss that he is victorious. Isn't that amazing? Okay, it's in the cross that we see how Jesus overcomes the world, but what does that mean for you and me? Because what Jesus says in John 16 is, in this world you will have trouble, but don't worry Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, there's a kind of disconnect there, right? Because Jesus is saying, Weird, I'm going to suffer, but he has overcome the world. So what good does it do me that Jesus has overcome the world? Well, what we have to see and we have to understand is that Jesus, what Jesus does on the cross, he does for us. What Jesus does on the cross, he does for you. What Jesus does on the cross, he does as your advocate. Um... I don't, know if you've know, I don't know if you've ever been to court. Uh, several years ago, um, I'm not going to go into the details, but we had a weird, awful landlord situation, and they totally, uh, uh, the only word I can think of is a word I shouldn't say right now. Uh, it did not go well. <laughs> and we moved out, and then they kept like our, all of our money, <laughs> our deposit. And so we, we took our former landlord to small claims court. And I had no idea what I'm doing, but in our church we had a friend who was the assistant district attorney for the county. And we were just telling him, this is what's going on, and we're scared, and we don't know what to do. And our friend says, well, I haven't really practiced like real estate law since, or thought about it since I was in law school, but I kind of view this as a fun challenge. And so he represented us in court. And we showed up, I remember Ashley and I walking into the courthouse going, I have no idea what I'm doing or what I'm going to say. And it was fine because our advocate knew what he was doing. And he asked the right questions and he did the right things. And he won on our behalf. We won because our advocate knew what he was doing. In fact, we could say that our advocate overcame the injustice of what had been done to us. And we got the benefit of that. Jesus is your advocate. On the cross, he pays the penalty for your sin. He gives you his righteousness, his perfect record. And so that's how God sees you. Because Jesus has overcome this world and he is your advocate, you look good because Jesus is good. He is your advocate. He overcomes the world and in him, you overcome the world as well. So 
So what can we expect if we follow Jesus? Well, we've seen that in this world we can expect trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world, so what should we do? And the final thing you have to see is these two words in the middle of those two phrases where Jesus says, take heart. Take heart. What does that mean? Well, it implies that there's something that we have to do. If you're going to walk with Jesus in this world, you will face trouble. It will be hard. There will be times when you will wonder if you can keep going on. The future is unclear. And it's in those times, it's in the trouble, it's in the suffering, it's in the tribulation that Jesus' victory on the cross brings you peace and sustains you. But you have to do something in order to experience that. Now, let me be clear. Does Jesus' victory on the cross only apply to you if you do that? No, objectively, if you are in Christ, Jesus has won the battle on your behalf. And yet every Christian knows that there are times where subjectively, in our experience, we do not experience the peace that Jesus promises in the midst of trouble, in the midst of suffering. Jesus is saying that it is possible, and we all know this, to go through times of trouble and feel like God is absent. He is not absent. He is, not, he is with you. He loves you. He is always with you, and yet there are times when we don't experience his love. And so what do we do? And Jesus says, take heart. So what does that mean? <laughs> uh, take the old, uh, I think the King James says, uh, be of good cheer. Like, okay. <laughs> What does that mean? Well, literally, what it means in Greek is be brave, or have courage, or dare. Dare to live like it's true, that Jesus has overcome the world, even when it doesn't actually feel like it. Even when everything around you tells you trouble is going to be the final word, you have to dare to believe that it's not true. So practically, how do we do that? Well, there are two things um, <clears throat> that I think it calls us to do. Um, what does it look like to take heart in the midst of the trouble of the world? First, there's, there's something that we have to just, uh, an awareness that we have to have. And uh, the awareness is this, we have to realize that most of what we think of as suffering is not really suffering. If you live in Orange County, most of what you complain about is like not on the scale of what would be considered trouble or persecution, right? Uh, and I mean, this sounds so obvious to say, like a couple weeks ago, my kids go to school here and we were, the traffic out here is like terrible because people are crossing the crosswalk all morning and a couple weeks ago we were dropping off our kids in the morning and the traffic's bad and this woman like drives up, finally gets through the crosswalk and she rolls down her window and she's shouting at everybody. She's going, it took me 15 minutes to get through this roundabout. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> you know, okay. That's not trouble, that's traffic. And most of what we complain about is fine. <laughs> And I'm just saying this to say that this point, that the less we know of real suffering, the more we are likely to complain about things that are petty. 
And so I think the first thing that being courageous or taking heart means for us is that we have to be aware of what we complain about. And I'm not going to say any more about that because you get what I'm saying. But secondly, um, positively, what can you do? You have to be brave. You have to be courageous. And you probably can't do this alone. You will need others to help you. You will need others to come around you. You will need others to say kindly to you, of course that's the way it is. Don't be surprised. Not, of course that's the way it is. Why are you so surprised? No, like gently. <laughs> like, I need you to tell me this gently. What did you think? This was going to be an easy thing to do? No. What did you expect? And what that means is this, that to dare means to live like Jesus has overcome the world even when it feels like he hasn't. To dare means to live like there's no risk even when all we can see is the reality of the risk. To take heart means to remind yourself that God is on the throne and then to live like it's true that God is on the throne when the circumstances of life are shouting at us that maybe he's actually not. But he is. I don't know if you remember this. In February 2015, there was a video that surfaced on the internet that um, showed 21 Egyptian Christians being beheaded by ISIS on a beach in Libya. And the thing that startled everyone when the news, this, you know, was in the news was not what happened to them, even though that was shocking and horrible. But the thing that startled the world is that as they kneeled there on the beach, they sang praises to Jesus. Now, I know that that's um, something that is unlikely to happen to any of us in this room. And yet you have to see, number one, that those are your people if you are a Christian. And that the difference between your experience of trouble and theirs is only a matter of degree, even though that degree is probably very large. Because in the moments when you face trouble, suffering, persecution, you will need other Christians around you who sing with you as well. because you cannot do it on your own. In this world, you will have trouble. You don't need to go looking for it. If you're following Jesus, it will find you. Last summer, um, many of us saw Dunkirk, you know, the, the movie about um, the battle that almost wiped out the British army and um, the British army on the beaches of France being totally pummeled and overrun by the Nazis. And I think it was Winston Churchill who um, kind of issued a call for anybody with a boat, like a sailboat, to go across the English Channel and pick up as many British soldiers as they could and bring them back to the safety of England. 
And, um, you know, I think well over 100,000 soldiers were saved um, in this, this what looked like an utter defeat, this withdrawal that allowed the British Army to live to fight another day, and eventually the Allies won the war. But there was this moving scene as these British soldiers are coming back to England. And there's a man that's there, and there's these long lines of, they've just been beaten and pummeled, and oh my gosh, it's all that you could do to escape with your life. And there's these long lines coming back onto the, you know, on the shore on the, the English side of the channel, and there's this man who's standing there, and he looks like he might be a priest, I don't know. And he's handing out, like, cups of warm coffee, I think, to the soldiers. And... Um, it shows you how different th that time was than ours because these British soldiers wouldn't look anyone in the eye. They're so defeated. They're so ashamed. And this man hands a cup of coffee to, to a British soldier and he won't even look him in the eye. And he says, all we did was survive. Oh, the, the British soldier, oh, the, the man says, good job, son. He said, all we did was survive. And the man responds, that's enough. That's enough. And all I'm saying to you this morning is that sometimes just surviving is enough. Maybe the most heroic thing you will ever do as a Christian is survive. And that's enough. It's often in those times where we feel like trouble is all we know that we actually begin to experience the goodness of God, that we know his love, we experience his presence. I don't want to have to say this, but I have to say this, that we know this, that we don't tend to grow spiritually when everything is easy. And the Bible is clear that it's when we are in the midst of trouble uh, that we grow. And simply surviving is enough. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good when life is going well. God is good when your kids listen and obey. God is good when your marriage is flourishing, when your friendships are giving life meaning and joy. God is good when you're on vacation, and God is good when life is hard and when nothing seems to be going your way and you don't know what the future holds. God is good when life is good and God is good when we are in trouble. And so let me just leave you this morning with the words of Jesus. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because Jesus has overcome this world. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these hard but clear words. God, I don't like to suffer. I don't like things to be hard for more than a couple of seconds. 
God, I pray that we would, um, knowing Jesus and knowing his uh, life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, I pray that you would enable us to be people who don't um, whine about things that aren't really suffering. And I pray that you would help us to be people who don't run from difficulty. We don't need to beat ourselves up about it. We don't need to be overly morbid. We don't need to go looking for trouble. But would you help us not to run from it? because it's in the midst of the trouble so often that we know you as God. Would you help us to experience the victory of Jesus on the cross? We pray it in his name. Amen.